Hiring? With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. Try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash 247sports. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash 247sports. Welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Oh, yes. Thank you, big voice in the sky. Back here on the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Chip Patterson, Martin Simmons. We've got a pair of great guests coming up for you. Dave Biddle covering Ohio State. Sean Fitz covering Penn State. Barton, you have you have reached into the well. We are we've got an old-fashioned game breakdown. So game breakdown jingle will be coming in a little bit. But uh but this this of course a, a get better we would like to send to uh, to Gary Danielson. If you if you watched the Alabama Tennessee broadcast, he was uh, he was having his Michael Jordan flu game out there, you know. Just, that was the game to do it because <laughs> I don't know how many people were watching beyond that first half. Um, he was it was pretty funny on the uh, we do a post game wrap up show on SEC Live on the stream and he brought in Brad Nessler as his translator. So we were asking questions to Gary and then Gary was whispering in <laughs> Nessler's ear and wow. Nessler was given the answer. It was uh, it was funny. Um, but uh, Danny Cannell is also currently uh, on the road and traveling right now, but uh, both of them will be back next week, and uh, and so we've got a game breakdown. And uh, one of the games of the year, you know, it's, yeah. it's worthy of a of of some some individual care and attention. Yeah, absolutely. What's uh have have you our locks podcast is going to be recorded tomorrow morning? Are you going to make Ohio State Penn State a lock? Uh, no, 100, absolutely not. Like, uh, like not I, even over under play? You know, uh, no. I, in fact, it, I was last, I, I had the Michigan Penn State game totally wrong because I thought it was going to be a close game and I thought it was going to be a points at a premium game and n- neither of those played out. 69 yard touchdown on the third play from scrimmage. Yes, which I, I wasn't, I knew that there would be one Saquon Barkley goes off play but there were <laughs> there was like three um and so yeah I, that I, that that played out a little differently than i expected so i and now that ohio state has been on a five game tear playing absolute nobodies who are they really so i'm 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 gonna pick what i have to pick for the experts for the experts page but i'm i'm not gonna this is i'm not gonna play this by choice are you gonna make uh georgia florida a lock that one might happen because that's, that's still – I've got the, my, my doubts about the Gators. Hey, is the bottom about to fall out in Gainesville? And that's, and that's really where we land to, uh, to kick this thing off. Again, we'll, we'll get into our, our deep dives with Dave Biddle in Ohio State, Sean Fitz, Penn State here in just a moment. But the uh, – but this, this – I never imagined when Jim McElwain first mentioned – threats and to put it in context he was in the middle of uh, a little bit of a rambling rant about uh the negative environment in the media and the fans and this is not the first time that jim McElwain is has sort of thrown a shot at gator nation you know talked uh previously about you know we were brought here to win to get uh championships we've won the sec east two years in a row you know it seems seems like he feels the florida fans are being ungrateful but he mentioned threats to your family death threats and then things got strange (laughs) when the university released a statement saying that when they asked McElwain about the threats he offered quote he offered no additional details Barton is is Jim McElwain just running his mouth and if he is did he just get himself in some potentially serious trouble? Okay, I, I'm gonna. This is this is tricky because I don't want to downplay or or make light of death threats if in fact there were serious death threats. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm not even gonna comment on what Jim McElwain said, but 
you cannot ignore that that release by the University of Florida is kind of I don't know what bizarre not not even bizarre but just um, alarming I guess because there's a lot of ways they could have handled that they could have not released a statement they could have released a statement and just left it with we are looking into the issue we are they concerned for their their health and safety we support coach McElwain and and uh, we you know continue to condone any threats that may have occurred any I mean there's any number of ways they could have phrased it and instead they phrased it coach McElwain offered no further details like that is to me a pretty damning phrase it says whether they either they don't believe what what coach McElwain brought to their attention or they don't care if coach McElwain gets <laughs> takes heat from this or like it's just to me, it, it offers up very clear discord between McElwain and the administration. And that's, that's the bottom line. Like, forget about the death threats for a second. Like, there just is very, clearly some discord there. And given all the discord amongst the fan base who may or may not have given a, <laughs> the coach a death threat, uh, look, I think that there's – this is a very real situation now, and not that this – I don't know what's going to come of it, but I think that this is the type of deal if you're in a relationship and you get in a fight and you say some things in that fight that maybe you don't mean, but those things were said, and now the relationship is forever changed. Like, that's the way this kind of feels. <laughs> like, no, like, I, I get it. I was I drunk. I shouldn't have said it. Well, you said it. And now this is now what, you know, we can't ever like go back to the same relationship we used to have. So I, that's, that's kind of how this feels to me. I, I am like, I'm having echoes in my head of Thomas Goldcamp on this podcast before the season even started talking about how close the Jim McElwain Gator Nation relationship was to being toxic. And yeah. given everything that we've had, and again, like I, I do want to reiterate your point, Barton, like no, none of this, like if, if this is all uh, very, th- this could potentially all be very serious, but in my, from my understanding, when the threats are serious, uh, the university and the authorities would get involved and maybe Jim McElwain just want, doesn't want, you know, he's, he's just hoping it all goes away, but man, the, the toxicity here is present one way or the other. Like it is, it is not a healthy relationship between Jim McElwain and the administration in Gainesville right now. And I don't know, like they're, they're about to face a team in Georgia that could could blow the doors off this thing um and if this if this comes out to be a thing if this becomes a thing then it's becoming a thing during a season in which they are currently three and three and in which they're about to be three and four more than likely and with south carolina and columbia florida state which is uh, probably a toss-up at this point maybe uh, and even Missouri is starting to play better. Like this is a team that is, I don't know. They probably have. This is this this is a team that could go five and six, right? Mm. So five and six with a coach that is at odds with the administration in Florida. Uh, that that's. This this could this this could go off the rails pretty quickly here. New, so this is something. This is a this is a storyline to watch. I think you think so. Like okay, so right now, do you think Jim McElwain is the head coach of the Gators in 2018? Yeah, right now I do. But, but I don't know what's going to happen <laughs> the rest of the year. Um, yeah, so I I, I just I, this is, this adds like a explosive element to things. If again, and like we're all we're still learning, and this is this maybe. A huge jump to conclusions, but it sure there sure seems like a lot of smoke that this is like a legitimately something that the administ- that, that that Florida is is dissatisfied with. And, he was and, or have some has some some concerns with. I've got some concerns with how offhanded the reference was. You know, like if this is something that should be taken seriously, don't 
don't package this in to the middle of a long uh, commentary on the state of things, you know, like there's so much negativity. There's so much negativity. Like, by the way, didn't I tell you we got threats? Yeah. Like, I don't know, man. That's, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a little bit like, uh, you remember the, in his op- in his press conference in SEC media days when he was asked about the shark uh, and and he sort of laughed for a second or smiled. It looked like he was going to make light of it. And then he got like really serious and and talked about how it affected his family and how – Oh, yeah. And he got, he got kind of emotional and um, – you know, it's just this is, uh, you know, we're just in a this is this has become really weird. Like the whole like this Jim McElwain era just went from like um, teetering on disappointment to just playing bizarre. People uh, like there's there is, a, I think I think that because Jim McElwain, his ties lie in the Pacific Northwest. There is a certain breed of Southern football fan that's ready to pack his bags and send him to Oregon State. Was it Dennis Dodd that talked to us about, you know, he he could see him end up in Oregon State? Yeah, just the idea that like he's he's come here, he's taken it on, he's gotten to the you know the peak, and he's like, oh man, nah, this isn't me. It's just not a personality fit. Yeah, it's it's um, you know SEC head coach of an SEC program, especially one of the big four or five in the conference, is that that's a. There's a lot that comes with that gig, and and he is feeling the heft of it right now. If you can't take it when a doppelganger is on top of a shark with no clothes on, <laughs> then you don't deserve it in Atlanta playing for the SEC championship. That's uh, the true test of an SEC coach. <laughs> um, all right. From one Florida coach who is not having a great week to another one, uh, Jimbo Fisher had to apologize to apologize at the pre- post-game press conference. Uh, he was getting taunted by a fan after their home loss to Louisville. Um, the, the question of Jimbo Fisher's uh, loyalty to his assistants uh, initially brought up a couple weeks ago. I know we mentioned it before. Now it is, it is the buzz. It is the buzzing topic of Florida State fans in their criticism of a Seminoles team that right now is fighting for a play of fighting for a bowl bid. Uh, they are like, who knew? Did you point this out? Didn't you say this? Who knew the ULM game would mean so much? Yeah. Like that's, yeah, I mean, that's a win they needed. Like yeah, that's absolutely. That's, that is unbelievable to imagine for a team that started with national championship hopes. Um, Jimbo Fisher uh, and this Florida State team, do you see the light bulb coming on or do you see things getting any different from here on out? Like Jimbo Fisher will be the head coach of Florida State for a long time. How do you think the next step in this story goes? Well, I'll say first that I think that Jimbo Fisher was well within – I mean, I'm, I'm okay with the way he handled. I, and and I, he even I – mean, he, he may have given an apology post-game, but he came back this week and kind of defended – what he said, and and I'm good with it. Like it, what 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 bugs me sometimes from fans is like that they feel the need to like make a coach or a player or a team understand how disappointed that they are after a disappointing loss, as if Jimbo Fisher doesn't understand how, that that was yeah. a devastating loss. Yeah, as if his players aren't already devastated, as if his coaches aren't looking themselves in the mirror, being like, what the hell can I do to get this right? And I think, obviously, like there's going to be a, a real onus on Jimbo Fisher to evaluate his staff at the end of this year and, and probably make some changes. But I, I, I'm okay with him going after that fan and, 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 and basically calling him out and saying, look, we don't, we don't need that. Um, and there's, I mean, there's times in, when you need to sort of let the coach know, but at the same time, like walking off the field, these coaches live and die by this stuff, man. These families are living like they, they feel this. Like when, when, when a coach loses a football game, the family has a bad week. And so in that sense, like, I really think that I'm okay with the way Jimbo handled it. And I don't really think he needed to apologize. Um, 
all that said, look, I picked Florida State last night, last week in my picks. Hated, hated that I did it. Can't trust those guys right now. And I don't know what to think of them the rest of the year, truly. Like, I guess I kept on expecting because when you look at their schedule, really it's a tough schedule. Like, there's a lot of games that could go either way. And I just expected at some point that they would look like the team that they were supposed to be. And I just, they're just not that team, I guess, is what we need to come to the conclusion of. And now this week, they're going to Boston College at night on a Friday night. And that's a tricky game. So, what are they at now? They're at two and four with one Delaware State gimme left. So, three and four. And now they got BC, Syracuse, Clemson, and Florida. Four games to get three wins. Yep. Uh, that's, that's, uh, there's not a lot of room for error, man. That's a tough, I think they get to a bowl, but I don't think, uh, but, but it's, uh, I don't feel confident. I don't feel great about it. I think, yeah, they'll be. I think they'll beat. I think they'll be Syracuse. And I think they'll be Florida. Do you want? So there you, they are. Do you do you want to hear something that that sounds very mean, very mean spirited? But I'm going to be mad if this Florida State team beats Clemson. I will be I, angry. I will be very angry. Yeah. This. I, I I hear you. Like like this is uh, and and it's like like if if that's the game that Florida State gets up for. After all these other ones, I don't think I will be championing Florida State. I think I'll be because because this uh, this ACC playoff picture is kind of ridiculous. I I mentioned this to you uh, just a little bit ago, but there is not another team, there's not another conference in the country that has four potential playoff contenders as we approach. Uh, was this week eight, week nine? Like we've got the first college football playoff selection committee rankings coming out. I guess week nine coming out in on Tuesday, and from the Atlantic, you've got Clemson with its one loss coming to Syracuse. You've got NC State still undefeated in conference play with its one loss at the beginning of the season to South Carolina. You've got Virginia Tech with its one loss coming to Clemson. And then you've got Miami still undefeated. Uh, you've got Notre Dame will be playing both NC State and Miami. You've got the Virginia Tech-Miami game. You've got the Clemson-NC State game. And then Florida State still has that game against Clemson. And Notre Dame plays NC State this week and Miami next week. Like I, I think that that... And obviously, John Swafford, ACC commissioner, hopes that they don't all beat each other up and the ACC gets left out. But uh, I think that that is probably one of the more interesting, as, as we do the eliminator challenge to move teams from the outside to the middle to the college football playoff, I, I've got, where's your, how about this, where's your confidence in how this plays out? How do you think it plays out? You first. Who's who's your prediction? Who who is playing in the in the ACC championship game? I'm sticking with Clemson, and my confidence erodes by the week. <laughs> right. Like I mean, and, and some of that has to do with NC State. Some of that has to do with Miami. You know, like the like I, I was talking before the a Miami team that even Mark Richt himself admits like isn't great. He's like we're a solid football team, but we're you know we're figuring out ways to do it, and if. If they continue to figure out ways to do it and build some confidence, then you know I I could see Miami knocking off Clemson in the ACC championship game. I mean, Clemson only beat Virginia Tech last year in the ACC championship game by a touchdown. I still think Virginia Tech gets in um, from the coastal. I think that they because I mean they are. I mean that's I just think they're. They're a really sound football team, so I think they get in from the coastal. But here's here's the thing that I'm I'm starting to like. We'll we'll see what happens this week, but depending on how this goes this weekend, I I could see Clemson going into Raleigh as an underdog. Mm. I could see. I think NC State is is winning people over by the week. I think NC and State beats Notre Dame. I could definitely see them beating Notre Dame. That's going to be a battle. So. And if and, and and so, tell me this: like, if they beat Notre Dame, wh- who's who's the who's favorite in that game at home for NC State versus Clemson? I think I think Vegas 
is still going to give Clemson, but it might be one of those like two point three point lines, or like Clemson minus one and a half, Clemson minus two and a half. That maybe the the action pushes it up to three and a half, and yeah, maybe I think Clemson ends up still favored by about a field goal because because Vegas still runs like on the 24-7 talent composite or whatever their version of it is. And and that those hard numbers say that the uh, the Jimmys and Joes are on the Tigers' sideline. Big advantage there. Yeah, I just think when we as we look back, you know, retrospectively at this schedule and at the time as they've gone through it, Clemson, we all felt great about them. But the Syracuse loss changes a lot in terms of my perspective on on the rest of their season because ultimately the louisville win was impressive auburn what they scored 14 points virginia tech you know they won by what 14 okay they beat wake by 14 i think i think the virginia tech win was good it was good no that's what i'm but like who where have they said where have they put their foot down and said we are this force of nature that 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 you know an nc state team i I don't know like i just think they they've there this is not alabama and i think we 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 tried to to shoehorn them into the alabama tier for a while and i was guilty of it too um and and i think nc state if they beat notre dame on the road like how does that then then what do we think about this NC State team? Like this is that really I think changes our perspective on NC State, um, and, and suddenly with it being at home, with that defensive front being so good, like I just I, I start to I, if they win, I'm gonna go ahead and say it. If they beat Notre Dame, I, I think I'm gonna I'm probably gonna pick NC State to beat Clemson. Wow. See, we'll right, see, but my, they may and, and Notre Dame may blow their doors off. Like that Notre Dame may. I mean, Notre Dame may be the re- the real deal. Um, so that, I think we're going to learn a lot this weekend. I was about to challenge you uh, because in my head, I remember uh, 24-17 against NC State. Um, you know, I remember the the 26-7 against Georgia Tech or, or even, you know, 37-34 against Florida State. Um, you know, the, just, I remember the close games in Clemson's title run. And I don't remember that they did beat Syracuse 54 to nothing. They did beat Boston college 56 to 10. Like they, they did put the, put the foot on the accelerator in some of those games. And, and, uh, you know, outside of the beginning of the season, we haven't really seen that. And, and last year with Clemson, I think we always felt like Deshaun Watson could push the button at any time and, and turn it on. And offensively this year for Clemson, I don't know that they have that capability. So I'm thinking out loud here. You know, I'm not I'm not kicking dirt on Clemson or anything. I, I just I I think to your point about the the wacky ACC right now, I think there's a lot a lot of that's undecided. There's nothing given right now at the top of that division, at the top of that conference. What's your pick? I mean, right now. <laughs> Like I said, I think Virginia Tech, and I mean, I'll, I'll I will lean Clemson right now, but I'm telling you, it's confidence erodes by the week. <laughs> I, yeah, I like I will be I will be ready to switch my pick to NC State like the second that ball kicks off at South Bend. Like I'm gonna be watching that game and seeing what NC State looks like and that kind of atmosphere and that sort of matchup. Um, we'll, we will learn a lot. How about Ryan Finley for ACC Player of the Year? Steady Eddie, man. Regardless of what happens with if NC State is a a ten and two team or nine and three, I I think that in my book, as I'm running my math, like he he's my front runner right now because he's been a difference maker. Seventy five percent like completion percentage. You deliver the ball in the right space. Naheem Hines maybe I guess could also have an argument there, but. Man. Well, he doesn't turn the ball over. Yeah. I think that's the big one. You know, he just he's, he takes care of the football. And when you got a defense like that, and you take care of the football, you're gonna be you're gonna have a chance in a lot of games. No doubt. Um, are you as as we're trying to, and we'll we'll get to the game breakdown, Ohio State, Penn State, in just a little bit. But 
You know, if if you're trying to assemble your perfect team, if you're trying to get your all-ACC, your all-American talent on your business of any side, then you need to do it with ZipRecruiter. And the good news is that listeners of the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash 24-7 Sports. See, ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other hiring sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on the right candidates finding you. In fact, it finds them. You just post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. Then ZipRecruiter puts its smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting so that you receive the best possible matches. It's no wonder 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. It's ZipRecruiter. It is the smartest way to hire. And again, businesses of all sizes have taken advantage of this and you can too. Going to ZipRecruiter.com slash 24-7-sports. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash 24-7-sports. One more time, try it for free today. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash 24-7-sports. We're getting into specifics. Game breakdown. Specifics. Game breakdown. If they played on a neutral field, game break you would down. take them. Breaking down the game. And now it's my pleasure to welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast for the first time this season, Dave Biddle of Bucknuts. Dave, uh, is this this is a, a small week. I think that you imagined this might be a mildly important game. How's, how's the buzz? How's the feeling? Even for uh, those of us who work in it, when you are this close to a team, I'm sure that uh, you... You are a little bit fired up. I mean, did you did you start like each morning a little bit earlier? How you feeling right now, man? There definitely is a buzz in the air. There's no doubt about it, Chip and Barton. I mean, this is. Uh, I mean, comparatively speaking, I mean, Ohio State had a big game against Oklahoma in week two. I mean, there's just no comparison. It's just Ohio State had the off week, so it's really been bubbling for you know really two weeks now. And Penn State beat Ohio State last year, which that just adds to it. As you guys know, the revenge factor in college football is huge. And, you know, Ohio State beat Oklahoma last year, so it didn't really have that same feeling. I mean, it felt, you know, it was big game week and everything. But I've thought about that a lot this week, how it just feels completely different. Um, Urban Meyer came to the press conference on Monday, looked like he hadn't slept at all. And I love that. You know, you can tell he's just been doing nothing but preparing for football, looked like he hadn't shaved in a couple days. Um, so uh, this is what it's all about. You know, I, I, coming into the season, guys, I thought there was really like three games for Ohio State, and the rest were kind of like almost like exhibition games. And coaches can't look at it like that, but that's how I looked at it. And basically, it was like Oklahoma, Penn State, and the Michigan game. And um, this is what it's all about. And it looks like this is going to be the de facto Big Ten East Championship game, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, can we back up to, uh, to to that string of exhibition games? Because it's been very difficult since Oklahoma as uh, as Ohio State. Right, let's let's start here. What, to your mind, has clicked or been a key in Ohio State uh, just not only rolling through uh, this stretch of games, bringing us to this point, but thoroughly dominating, putting up big points on the scoreboard, JT Barrett being efficient as a passer. You know, what has changed and what has improved to to let fans know uh, what might be different when they face some quality competition on Saturday? Yeah, Chip, I think the biggest difference is Urban Meyer has, uh, and the offense is his baby. This was not easy for him to do. He has given more control over to offensive coordinator Kevin Wilson, and they have a really good young up-and-coming co-offensive quarter, coordinator and quarterbacks coach, Ryan Day, who uh, you know has worked with Chip Kelly, was in the NFL for a while, um, has been a college coordinator. So he's a, a young, up-and-coming coach that people need to know about. So what, what really happened entering the season, the first two weeks, they did pretty well against Indiana. They started off slow, but they ended up winning that game 49-21. to uh, and then they, they looked terrible against Oklahoma on both sides of the ball. But focusing on the offense, you know, to me it was clear, guys, that it was the same old Ohio State offense, the same offense we saw last year, same type of plays, very predictable, very remedial. Um, not what Kevin Wilson ran at Indiana when he was head coach, not what he used when he was Oklahoma's offensive coordinator, nothing like that. Since then, we've seen a vast difference where they're running plays they haven't used before, a lot of rub routes, um, a lot more crossing routes. Crossing routes is one thing they've done a lot throughout the year, but just you see more of the Kevin Wilson 
uh, impact on this offense. And one thing we're seeing now, we're seeing JT Barrett do things that he's never done before. For instance, he will now throw the ball when the, before the wide receiver is even out of his break. That's something he never did before in his career. One of his faults was he would wait till the, the receiver was open before he would try and throw the ball. He, he just lacked anticipation. So we're seeing a lot better anticipation from JT Barrett. We're seeing a more innovative offense. But again, I come back to the competition has been so bad. But you, know, you only can play the teams that are in front of you, and Ohio State does have the number three total offense in the country. Uh, but again, I, I, Penn State will be the best defense they face. Penn State's an athletic defense. They mix things up. But that certainly is the biggest thing that I've noticed is Urban Meyer has turned over more control of his offense uh, to Kevin Wilson and, and uh, quarterbacks coach Ryan Day. Dave, over the last three, two to three weeks on this pod, sort of a recurring conversation like we always revisit. Like, should we believe in JT Barrett yet? Should we believe in JT Barrett after UNLV, after Rutgers, after Maryland, after Nebraska? So you are probably the guy we should be asking this. Um, look, the theory for, for me has been that, look, the guy's great against these nobody competition, but when you play someone that forces him to, you know, that, that exposes his weaknesses, forces him to try to throw the ball down the field is where he really struggles. Penn State is capable defensively of, of, of forcing him to do those things he's uncomfortable doing. Should we believe and JT Barrett, is he going to be able to, in your opinion, go out and, and, and show a different JT Barrett than we saw against Oklahoma? Have you seen uh, improvement, development over the last five weeks? I certainly have seen a lot of improvement and a lot of development and you know, things we haven't seen from him, but I'm still in your camp. I need to see it against really good competition that's going to challenge him, that's going to say, okay, we're going to take away all these things you guys like to do, your bread and butter. We're going to make JT Barrett beat us with the pass, and we're going to make him beat us with the pass downfield. We're not going to make him beat us with the pass to you know, swing passes and you know, bubble screens and things of that nature. He's going to have to beat us down the field. And he's only done that once in his career, Barton. Uh, that was his redshirt freshman year, 2014, at Michigan State. They were bringing the house. They're going to make JT Barrett with, beat him with the pass, and he did. Um, now, he had a couple good receivers on that team with Michael Thomas and Devin Smith, so that, that helped the cause. But he made some uncharacteristically good, uh, great JT Barrett throws that game. But we've only seen it once in his career against a really good defense that's going to challenge him in a big game. Uh, Michigan State was actually favored in that game in 2014 in East Lansing. Ohio State, you know, at least the offense really took it to him, put up a lot of points. So um, I'm conflicted. I think that he has turned the corner, and I think that um, you know, certainly I see strides, like I said, in the right direction for him. But until I actually see it in a big game against a good defense with so much on the line, because this is a knockout game for Ohio State. They lose this game, they're done. As far as uh, you know, their, their main goals, winning the Big yeah. Ten, advancing to the college football playoff, they're done. So I need to see it first before I say that you know, we need to, um, you know, that before he's like a legit Heisman contender and that he's actually turned the corner. I don't think he's ever going to be an NFL quarterback, uh, at least a starter. He might make a, a roster, but he can go out with a huge year. Uh, and really put a stamp on a great career. But, again, I need to see it first. So I won't really know until uh, the clock hits zero on Saturday night. Well, how about the other side of the equation? Uh, you know, for every for the issues he may have throwing the ball down the field, it sure helps when he's got elite guys catching it down the field. Like, have you seen over the last five weeks um, the receiving core step forward? Because I feel like in the, in the early couple of weeks there was sort of Paris uh, Campbell – catching drag routes and and that was about it like are are, are benjamin victor and and um and the rest of those guys now ready to kind of be presence on the outside and, and threaten those penn state dbs they are to a degree the problem i see though i mean they're very talented and they are you know you're seeing ben victor now go up and, and you know winning those 50 50 balls which he needs to do as a six foot four receiver that urban meyer is called you know the most talented receiver that he's possibly coached in his career, um, wow. and he's starting to show signs of that. Um, he needed to be a little tougher, frankly, and he's, he's now showing uh, it's more toughness, whether it's blocking, whether it's going up to those 50-50 balls. So, yeah, that's a, good, that's a good example, Barton, of a guy that's really starting to come around and play up to his recruiting ranking and uh, what his expectations were from Ohio State's coaching staff and fans. Um, so I do see the receivers coming together as a group. The problem I do see is they don't have a true go-to receiver. You can say Paris Campbell is, but he's more of a running back that, that plays that H-back role. You know, Curtis Samuel played last year for them and did so well that Her Percy Harvin played back in the day at Florida. 
that's really an integral part of the Urban Meyer offense. But it's really, you know, it's it's, it's not an H back, the traditional H back, which is a hybrid, you know, fullback tight end. I know you guys know this just for the listeners in the Ohio State lexicon. The H back is a hybrid running back, wide receiver. So they really don't have a true go to receiver. And I, I think about the great college football teams, or even the great pro teams. Heck, you could say most great high school teams. Uh, as long as they don't run the triple option, <laughs> they all have a go-to receiver or two that you, when the chips are down, like I, I can throw the ball to this guy. He might not even be open, but he's going to find a way to, to make a big play when I need him to. They don't have that guy. They have guys that could grow into that role, but here we are seven games into the season and it's still wide receiver by committee. And they're kind of proud about that, guys. They, they talk about that a lot, about how we have six guys that we rotate for the three spots. They have three wide receiver spots, including the H-back spot, and they rotate six guys. So if you're in the top six, you're going to play. If you're the seventh guy, you're, you're just don't play at all. So they rotate those six guys. So it's a good thing and bad thing. They stay fresh, and they like that they can mix those guys in. But again, to me, I feel like if you're going to be a great football team, you need a go-to receiver, and they don't have that yet. You mentioned uh, from the Oklahoma game earlier that that was bad play on both sides, and I think that the way that we've remembered that game uh, is that it was it was a JT Barrett struggle. It was a struggle for the offense, uh, but. Where on the defensive side of the ball are your concerns going into a game where we just watched Penn State? Penn State came out of that bye week. They threw in all sorts of new wrinkles to the offense. They have one of the most dynamic and versatile offensive players in the country in Saquon Barkley. Where do you think Ohio State will be strong and where will they be challenged in this matchup? Their pass defense has really so far been their weakness, and I mean, it's not even close. And, and Saquon Barkley, to me, is the best player in college football, so obviously that's going to be a huge focal point is containing him. You're never going to stop him. You just, you just hope, hope to contain him. Um, but uh, their pass defense has been their weak link, and, you know, Mike Kosicki, you know, if he's not the best tight end in the nation, he's, he's at least one of the best, and he's going to be a high NFL draft pick, I would have to think. And yeah, that's going to be a matchup problem. He's six foot six, he's athletic. They're going to mix up who they put on him, but. You know, if they have a linebacker like Jerome Baker, who's really their their best linebacker, the most athletic linebacker, he'll play in the NFL. He'll leave after this year, in my opinion. He's a junior, um, second-year starter, finally playing up to expectations. I thought he was not playing well earlier this year. Now, the last couple weeks, Jerome Baker's flying around the field and playing well. So I think he might check Gusecki a decent amount of the time. But that's where Ohio State could be vulnerable. Their, their linebackers have not been good in coverage. Um, their secondary is now starting to come around. But against Oklahoma, I mean, Baker Mayfield just had his way. Now, we are talking about two-time Heisman finalists and Baker Mayfield. But I see, I, I mean, Trace McSorley, I've heard a lot of Ohio State fans say, like, oh, he arm punts the ball and all that. I, I think he's, he's almost like a poor man's Baker Mayfield. I, I feel like Trace McSorley doesn't get enough credit. I think he's a good college quarterback, really good yeah. college quarterback. So and he can make plays on the run. So, um, Ohio State, where they're going to have a big advantage defensively, is their defensive line is, is tremendous, guys. And I know you guys know that. But they, it, it's even been enhanced now. They get a fifth-year senior back, Mike Hill, a kid from Pendleton, South Carolina, who was a first-year first year starter last year for them. Big guy. Because they, they've got some good defensive tackles, but they're, they're, a lot of them are converted DNs that are kind of undersized D tackles, but are still good. But Mike Hill's a true D tackle, six foot three, 305 pounds. And to get a guy, a fifth-year senior back like that midseason, he was suspended for six games. It was kind of a, like a Ohio State was very coy about it, but Urban never really wanted to talk about it. But Mike Hill was suspended for six games, came back a little bit, played a little bit against Nebraska. So they get him back in the middle. I don't think he's going to start or anything, but he'll play. And Nick Bosa is playing at an All-American level to me. I mean, he is having a breakout season. Um, not quite to the level his brother Joey did as a sophomore, but he's Nick Bosa's playing tremendous. And they have other guys on that defensive line that are future NFL players, too. So that's Ohio State's big advantage. Their defensive line, Penn State has not seen anything like this. But Ohio State, other than Oklahoma, hasn't seen an offense like Penn State. They haven't seen anything like Saquon Barkley. So that's going to be a fun matchup. I think Ohio State's going to control the line of scrimmage. And I think that's ultimately going to be the difference. We're, we're expecting bad weather here in Columbus, so that's going to add to it. Ooh. But uh, Oh, yeah, it's going to be all – man, you talk about fo- football weather here in the north, man. It's going to be – we've had unseasonably like warm weather. Not this week. It's going to be in the 40s. It's supposed to be raining. I mean, it is football weather up here, fellas. That's big boy ball right there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's, that's what they were saying. We, we got a chance to talk to Kevin Wilson and Greg Schiano yesterday, and they both said the exact same phrase at different times. They're like, this is Big Ten football weather. So even the coaches are locked in, and they're, they're, they're loving it. Of course, Schiano, uh, uh, Wilson made the joke, yeah, it's easy for me to like the weather. I'm up in the press box with you guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, how, all right, so you just you just kind of mentioned it. How how do you see this like, like where, where is your brain spinning this? I, at Bucknuts, I'm sure that there's uh, – have you offered your official prediction yet? 
Not yet, but uh, you know, I'll give it to you guys all first. Right. We're going to do we're, we're doing staff predictions tomorrow, but uh, hey, we're all the same family here, so it's all good. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I like. I think Ohio State's going to win a close game. Um, I mean, the point spread six and a half, and um, I think it's going to be like right around there. I like Ohio State to win this game by seven. You know, I think it's going to be you know somewhere around you know thirty one twenty four. Ohio State playing at home off the bye week is huge. As I said, the revenge factor is just to me. I'm, you know, I'm a big believer in the mental side of sports. Ohio State just seems so locked in. I think with Oklahoma, they thought, oh, you know, we went to Norman last year and blew them out. They're coming here. But, you know, we, we got this. We know Oklahoma's good. I just get a different vibe from Ohio State this time. You know, Urban Meyer is so good in revenge games. Uh, when a team beats them one year, he usually beats them the next. And Penn State had to play, even though they took it to Michigan, it looked great. Now, still, I mean, you have to play a physical, emotional game last week where Ohio State was just chilling so, and watching that game. That's a big advantage for Ohio State. If this was a neutral field and the, the teams weren't off bye weeks, or Ohio State wasn't off a bye week, I'd probably feel different about it. But I think Ohio State's going to win this game by a touchdown. And it's going to be, I think, the, the, the big battle, as I said earlier, is going to be Ohio State's defensive line against Penn State's offensive line. I really think Ohio State's going to take it to them there. If Penn State can prove me wrong there, if Penn State's offensive line can at least have a stalemate there, and I think Penn State's going to win. But I do not think Penn State's going to have a stalemate there. I think Ohio State's defensive line will prove to be the difference. Dave, did did you what you saw from Penn State last week alter your expectations for this game at all? Because I would imagine you had sort of a a thought process heading into last week's game against Michigan for Penn State. Did, is is your thought process consistent following it, or did what you see from Penn State um, make you think this game is going to be closer? Make you question whether Ohio State is going to win? How did that affect your vision? Definitely uh, made me think. Um... You know, this was going to be a closer game than I thought. Because entering the season, I thought, you know, Penn State's going to be so talented. They're going to be – in fact, I've said this many times in, in print and, and on radio that, you know, I thought entering the season Penn State was going to be a better team than Michigan. But I thought Ohio State's toughest game was going to be at Michigan for many factors. You know, Michigan would go – Harbaugh would go 0-3 against, you know, Urban Meyer at Michigan and all that, whereas, you know, Penn State beat Ohio State last year at the Horseshoe this year. Um, but now I feel different about that. You know, watching even – Bill Heisman's going to have all that still remains what I said about the Michigan game. That's still going to be tough because Michigan will play over their heads that day. I have no doubt about that. They'll bring their A game. But Penn State is so good. Um, they're even better than I thought they were. And I knew they were good. They're, I thought they were even better than I thought they were before they played Michigan, just watching them how they've played this year. And then you know, I know the Iowa game, it took the last play for Iowa to lose that game, for Penn State to win that game. Iowa played them pretty tough. But Iowa's a good team. Um, especially at home at night. Um, so, yeah, watching them blow the doors off Michigan. Because, Barton, I, I completely expected Michigan's defense, I was, I was wrong, to the, yeah. keep them in the game. I thought Penn State would win. I, I even said Mich- Michigan would cover, but, but Penn State would win. And Penn State just blew the doors off of them. And you see just NFL plays, like Gasicki making NFL plays. And they just, as I said about McSorley, you know, I don't think he's an NFL quarterback or anything, but he's a, he's a good, perfect quarterback for what they do. He's got puts good touch on the ball. Um, so, yeah, I thought initially Ohio State would win this game by 10 or 14 um, just because of all the factors. But now, yeah, right. as I said, I think it's, it's going to be more like a seven-point game and maybe so, closer. And you've been – obviously you've been around. I mean, it was funny. After that Ohio-Oklahoma game, Urban Meyer, I mean, he knew that this sort of hot streak was coming. He was like, you know, we've been able to get on a roll here before. We'll get on a roll again. And – that was no surprise, but you've seen Ohio State get on a roll before. Do you think that this is a role that ends in a national title? And and I guess I'm not asking you to predict a national title or not, but but is that does it feel like that? Does it feel like that's sort of the direction this is heading? It feels like they now have a chance because of, in my opinion, the the coordinators and some of the assistant coaches that I think that are. are they have an excellent coaching staff. If they're allowed to do what, what you know they're supposed to do, if they're given the, the freedom that they should have, I feel like they do now, um, particularly on offense. I mean, he does turn the defense over to Greg Schiano. Um, I know Schiano failed in the NFL, but heck, Nick Saban didn't do great in the NFL. So Greg Schiano, what he did at Rutgers as head coach, to me, was so impressive, turning them from nothing into, at one point, a top-five program. They're ranked in the top five at one point. Um, so have him as defensive coordinator and Larry Johnson as defensive line coach. I think he's one of the best defensive line coaches in the country. And then offensively with Kevin Wilson, I just feel like he's one of the best offensive coordinators. And, and I feel like that gives Ohio State a chance now. If I had to predict, guys, I don't think they're going to win the national championship. I just feel like um, you know I would just I would take Alabama or the field. I just 
I, I, I just feel like they're going to fall short of the national championship, but I do think they're going to win the Big Ten. I do think they're going to get in the college football playoff, and I don't think they're going to embarrass themselves like they did last year. They, because last year I really think um, they wouldn't have beat Clemson regardless, but their scheme was so remedial. Um, I mean, they had a couple guys calling the offense last year, Ned Warner and Tim Beck, that should not have been um, offensive coordinators and co-offensive coordinators. Tim Beck's proving that right now at Texas. Texas. Ed Warner, Ed Warner, <laughs> they're not happy no, yeah. they're not. And, and, you know, Nebraska people warned us when Tim Beck came to Ohio State. We warned Texas when, when Tim Beck uh, went there. Now I know that they're ready to fire Tim Beck there. And Ed Warner is the offensive line coach at Minnesota. So <laughs> those guys should not have been running Ohio State's offense. And yet it's Urban Meyer's offense. But I, that's, the, that's the reason. They do have, they have the talent. They have the experience. And they needed the coaching. And I feel like it took them a few games even this year to get going. But I feel like now with the scheme they have, they have much more of a high, up-tempo offense. I, again, I don't think they're going to win the national title, but they have put themselves in the discussion for sure. He is Dave Biddle, Bucknots, Ohio State extraordinaire. You can follow him on Twitter at Dave Biddle. That's B-I-D-D-L-E. Dave, you're the man. Thank you so much. I'm fired up about this game even more so than before. So uh, so you did your job. Follow Bucknuts. Uh, follow Dave Biddle on Twitter so you can get those staff predictions. And thanks for uh, for breaking the news on your staff prediction here on the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Chip and Barton, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Appreciate you guys having me on. And uh, enjoy this game and all the games this weekend. Yeah, we'll do it again. Thanks, Dave. All right, man. Thanks. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate it. I'm gonna make you break it down. We're getting into specifics. Game breakdown. Specifics. Game breakdown. If they played on a neutral field, game break you would down. take it. Breaking down the game. And now we take a look at the other sideline. We're going to Penn State, and the man who's going to take us there is Sean Fitz of Lions247.com. You can follow him on Twitter at SeanFitz247. Sean, this is a pretty awesome little turn here as we come out of what looked like an incredible environment against Michigan. Then we're going on the road to play Ohio State and Columbus, a rematch of uh, one of the most impactful games in terms of uh, the Big Ten race a year ago. Uh, let's let's start by going back. So, like, take us t- take us into that Michigan game, and and what to you really stood out as either the biggest surprise or the biggest takeaway about this 2017 Nittany Lions team as they chase an appearance in the college football playoff. Well, I think all the pressure last weekend was up front with both sides of the ball. Uh, offensive line had struggled, uh, not been on point at all uh, up to that point in the season. So. Uh, you know, with the, with the defensive front from Michigan being hyped as it was, and it's still, you know, it's a pretty good defensive front, they handled their business. I mean, we, we talked last week about Penn State getting a win on the offensive line. I mean, if, if that was a stalemate, that was a win for Penn State. They came out and did what they had to. Uh, redshirt freshman Will Fry start, you know, started it and played the entire game at right tackle, um, did, a, did a very good job. So that was huge for Penn State. I mean, just the, the being able to do what they wanted to do on the offensive line, especially with with a front like Michigan's, it, I think it can give Penn State an incredible amount of confidence going into Ohio State next week. On the other side of the ball, the Penn State's front seven ran things. I mean, that the, the entire second half, I mean, there was no question which team was in control. You saw that on the scoreboard. Things kind of open up, and, and everybody looks at Barkley and McSorley as the guys that make that go, and, and certainly on offense they do, but – the, the defense was re- what really set them apart from Michigan last weekend. Um, of course, they, they played off the atmosphere. They, they got to the quarterback. Uh, you know, they, they pretty much played not a perfect game, but they, they played about as well as they played all season. So, uh, you know, the number one scoring defense in the country, that's fine. But when you look at who they've played up into this point, you know, it's sort of a, a little bit misleading. But when you take a team like Michigan, who's not a great offense, but, you know, they, they put some points up on the board at times, when you can completely shut them down as they did in the second half, that I think that that bodes for good things uh, moving forward for Penn State. Do you think that that defense is a is one of the most overlooked aspects of Penn State being a, a I mean what they are a national championship Big Ten title contender right now? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I, I think Brent Pry has done a fantastic job. I, I know Barton has. has That's Barton's boy. That. <laughs> That's Barton's boy. No, no doubt. But uh, yeah, he's done a, a phenomenal job. Um, this defense probably doesn't get enough credit. Um, you know, like I mentioned, the, the first half of the schedule, you know, sets them up pretty successfully, no doubt about that. But to come out with a performance like they did on Saturday night sort of backs up those numbers. So number one scoring defense in the country, 
you know, are they an elite defense? Probably not. Are they a very good or great defense? Yeah, I think so. They, they've really come through, especially up front. We mentioned the, the, the front seven, uh, the defensive line up the middle, um, all those defensive tackles. They go four deep at defensive tackle, and, and they've done a really good job with that. So, uh, you know, I think that the, you look at Brent Pry, Sean Spencer, Terry Smith's done an amazing job with the cornerbacks. I mean, the Grant Haley, Christian Campbell, um, Amani, Aruari, uh, you know, all these guys have, have been very good this season. So uh, I, I look at it as we came into the season looking at this defense saying there's weak spots here, 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 and here. But I, I think across the board, they've really solidified themselves as one of the better, if not the best unit in the Big Ten. We're Wednesday morning right now, and, and I don't know if you've had a um, availability yet with Coach Franklin. He, he's been sort of all year, I almost feel like Coach Franklin's been – a different coach Franklin than earlier in his Penn state tenure. He's like confident. He's, he's sort of feisty. Um, what's the vibe been like this week? Is there a, do you feel like there's a confidence in the building heading into Ohio state? Uh, I mean, you, you gotta think there's a, a pretty good mojo working right now, given what they did to Michigan. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. Given what they did to Michigan, it gives you a, a great stepping stone heading into Columbus which is uh, one of, you know, one of the two toughest places to play in the Big Ten. So uh, I think there is confidence there. And you're right. Franklin has been a little bit more open. I mean, you know, he's not giving away state secrets or anything like that, but he's been a little bit more laid back. And, and you know, that's the confidence that comes with winning, you know, uh, seven straight and, and being where they're at in the Big Ten. So he's sort of loosened up a little bit, uh, having some fun with reporters and things like that. And you know, he, he's got a couple different images. You know, he, sometimes he's the standoffish guy. He just, uh, you know, stands on the sidelines si- silently. Sometimes he's the joker, the recruiter, and all that kind of stuff. But he sort of melded that all together. So you're not quite sure which one you're going to get, but it is a much better James Franklin than it was, you know, two years ago at this time. What about – about, oh, Go ahead, go ahead Barton. Go ahead. You got it. Chip, you, uh, what about uh, – I was going to ask about Joe Moorhead and, and, and what he's done – um, offensively here, I mean, we saw he sort of showed off a little last week with a, a couple wrinkles. Um, he is another guy that just just oozes confidence on the sideline. Um, you, you know, what, what's sort of been your impressions of of him? And 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 is, I mean, how big a part of of, of this Penn State success is Joe Moorhead? Because look, they're going to have to at some point survive without him. I mean, this is a guy that's going to be a, a, a pretty hot name whenever the coaching carousel starts spinning, um, probably this year and at the very least, you, you know, next year. Um, so I'm curious sort of how big of a piece of the puzzle Joe Moorhead is in this in this thing. Well, Penn State had two seven and six seasons before he arrived and won a Big Ten championship, and now they're seven and zero. So, I mean, you do the math. I mean, it's yeah. obvious that Moorhead is, is a huge piece of this. And yeah, you're right. He's he's going to have suitors, no doubt about it. He's already had that. Um, so, so uh, whether or not it's the right job, and I think Joe's in a, is in a position. He's a confident guy. He's been a head coach before. He realizes what he's getting into, and plus, he's he's seen what a rebuilding job looks like. I mean, James Franklin came into, you know, not a very good roster in terms of, uh, you know, the sanctions and, and, and a couple other things at play. So he, he's seen what that looks like. I don't think he's going to take a fixer-upper job. I think there are good jobs out there that have some talent in place that, that, that certainly could be appealing to him. Um, but at the same time, I mean, he's, he's in the hunt for a national championship. He's a, he's a guy that, you know, it looks like he's having fun at what he does. And, and when you get onto the field, you, you see that. I mean, this is a guy that, that lives through his players. You see McSorley, you see Barkley having fun, Jasicki having fun. And I think Moorhead's having a lot of fun right now. When you, when you break down what the offense looks like, Penn State's offense, you know, is a lot of Saquon Barkley, but he's been taken out of some games and they've adjusted well. They've, 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 they've thrown the ball around a little bit. McSorley has been very good at times. You know, he's been off on a few throws at times, but for the most part, I mean, he's an all big thing quarterback. So um, I think he, he does a great job strategizing around what's not there. So, you know, if Barkley's been taken out of the game, he can get some other guys involved and they have enough pieces on this offense where, you know, he has the ability to do that. So, um, you know, whether or not he's here in a year or two or whatnot, I, you know, I think that's probably a, a little bit irrelevant to him right now, just based on, you know, the, he's got a chance to win a national championship and he's having some fun right now at Penn State. So I think that's that's what you take away from it. But you're right. I mean, look, look at the numbers. The guy's obviously going to be a hot commodity at some point. Well, so the, there's there's such a, like, you sort of touched on, like, all right, they, they utilize Saquon Barkley a lot. And, and here in Nashville, on the, the, the guys on the radio were, 
like almost dog in Penn State for overworking Saquon Barkley and what do they have without Saquon Barkley. But you look at this, the numbers, he had a 40-touch game against Iowa, but beyond that, he really hadn't had more than, what, 25 touches any one particular week. I mean, they use him so effectively in terms of the different ways they create mismatches with him. But in in your opinion, is is – is Saquon Barkley? Is it is it sort of like if you shut down Saquon Barkley, you shut down Penn State? Like is 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 that Ohio State's whole game plan coming into this thing? Like where do you see Saquon Barkley fit into this in terms of what he has to do for Penn State to get a win in Columbus? Well, I think I think there's two different things. I mean, Ohio State obviously you have to game plan anything that plays Penn State has to game plan around Saquon Barkley. I mean, that's that's just common knowledge. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Uh, the, the thing about Ohio State, they have better athletes at linebacker, um, and, and they'll be able to run with him a little bit more. But he is a mismatch. Penn State not force feeding the ball to Saquon Barkley so far this year. You mentioned the the touches numbers, but it, I mean, he's not getting that as a traditional running back. I mean, he might have 14, 15 carries a game. Uh, but but then he's getting the ball in the passing game. You know he's taking direct snaps and all that kind of stuff. So the, they're being creative with how they use them. And and you know with a star player like that, there's a limit to to how creative you can be just based on the defense knowing where he's at. You know having two or three hats on him on on every play. So um, yeah, I think uh, he he is a guy that is going to determine how successful this offense is. But at the same time, there are guys around him that could, that can take that load off, off, off of his plate. I mean, we mentioned McSorley three touchdown runs this week. I mean, he, he, he can keep the ball. I mean, he, he, Saquon Barkley could get 25 to 30 carries a game, no doubt about it. But at the same time, you know, Bark or excuse me, McSorley can pull that ball. He can run with it. He's been effective as a runner. He's not, you know, he's not the the, the guy that's going to take off for. He's not Lamar Jackson or anything like that. But I mean, he's been effective. He can move the chains, and, and they can pull that ball, throw it to, to Hamilton or Jasicki, or, or or get the ball down the field a little bit more as they try to do this week. So, um, you know, I, there's just so many options, and, and and you look. I think you're you're selling yourself short if you look at the Penn State offense and say, hey, this is the Saquon Barkley show, because I, I I don't think it is that they haven't over leaned on him, I guess is the way that I would, that the, the way that I would go with that. What about the Ohio state? Uh, what about Ohio state? Do you think is going to present the biggest challenge for Penn state in this matchup? I think it's the front four, no doubt about it. Um, plus the atmosphere. I mean, you saw what an atmosphere could do last week to turn a, a an eight point halftime game into a, a complete blowout. So, um, the front four is always well coached by Larry Johnson. Uh, that's the hallmark of that Ohio State defense. And, and Penn State's offensive line, while it had a very good week against Michigan, is going. You know, it's going to be a little bit different this week. They they come at you on all four positions right there. They they bring uh, pressure off the second level. And when Penn State has struggled running the ball this time, or excuse me, running the ball this season at times, they they've been outmanned out front. So. Uh, it will be really interesting to see that matchup. Like I said last week with Michigan, if Penn State can get a stalemate up there, they'll be very happy uh, with with their play of the offensive line. Am I crazy to think that Jasicki is like potentially an X factor type player in this game, where uh, his ability to uh, come up with third down grabs, uh, maybe find some matchup advantages against some of Ohio State's very athletic, uh, but uh, it's still some linebackers get get a certain opportunity where his his six six frame makes him uh, someone who can help Trace McSorley when he's trying to evade a Sam Hubbard or a Nick Bosa. Like I I thought that uh, catching some, I mean, you were, you, you obviously more plugged into this, but I feel like we've started to reach that point in the season where he's started to become a focal point of national attention, but also even from James Franklin and the coaching staff saying like, yeah, this is someone who could be a game changing player for us. Yeah, he is a game changer. And outside of the, outside of Barkley, I don't think there's anybody that presents more of a, of a mismatch anywhere on the field than, than Mike Jasicki. So, um, I know Barton's probably tipping his hat right now, number one tight end by 24-7 sports, and, and he nailed that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this is a guy, he, he's got such a huge catch radius. He can play close to the line of scrimmage. Not a good blocker by any stretch of the imagination, but he can play close to the line of scrimmage. Uh, he's a red zone threat, and he can also get down the field. I think uh, Trace McSorley, when he's scrambled at times, a lot more last year than this year, has, has looked just sick. He's thrown it up, and, and, and it's been very tough to cover him. So, you know, if you're a smaller safety, you're in trouble. If you're a slower linebacker, you're in trouble. He's just one of those mis- those mismatches that, uh, you know, everybody wants on their roster right now. So, yes, I think I, I agree with you. He can be an X factor, whether that comes as a big play threat down the field or just a guy in the red zone. I don't think Penn State. Yeah, I don't think it matters to Penn State. I think they'll take it either way. But yeah, he can definitely be a mismatch this week, as he is pretty much every other week. 
if Penn State loads the box this weekend and keys on JT Barrett and keys on J.K. Dobbins and forces J.T. Barrett to to throw the ball on the perimeter, which has been – I mean, I, I got to think that's their game plan anyways. That, that's sort of been everyone's game plan against right. Ohio State over the last two years. Does 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 Penn State have the the corners and the the defensive backs to to man up in those situations and 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 hold their water and 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 basically shut Ohio State down? I mean, because I think ultimately that's that's kind of what it boils down to from my perspective. And, and tell me if you disagree. No, I, th- I think you're exactly right. Uh, Grant Haley has had a fantastic season. Christian Campbell has been very good as well, and and Amani Aruare leads the team in interceptions. So. That they've got players there. Uh, it's just a matter of keeping up with those Ohio State receivers. Paris Campbell so difficult to cover, not only you know as a traditional receiver, but as a drag guy. I mean, you you run that guy across yeah. the field. There's not there's not too many people that can keep up with him. So, and it's going to depend on how much pressure Penn State can get with that with that front four even. Um, so, I, I think you're absolutely right. The key is on Barrett. The key is on Dobbins. No doubt about it. But those Ohio State receivers are so dangerous when the play breaks down. That's that's when you got to stick with them. Michigan was able to, to have a little bit of success uh, bringing their guys across the field. And, you know, some of those uh, scrambles by O'Corn that turned into completions downfield have, have given Penn State trouble. So, um, yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. The secondary has been phenomenal this year, one of the best pass defenses in the country. And this is where a guy like Marcus Allen is going to be key because he's going to be a guy that's, that's looking into the backfield, no doubt. And they can't, uh, you know, you can't overcompensate for that with the other safety or the corners. I think we see a lot of nickel this week um, just based on the personnel. So uh, whether that means Penn State will roll out a true nickel or they just move Koa Farmer around a little bit, an athletic guy at outside linebacker, that remains to be seen. But, yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. There's a lot of pressure on the Penn State secondary, not necessarily because Ohio State can throw the ball down the field or anything like that, just because – you got to stick with those receivers. You saw Paris Campbell in, in the opening game against Indiana. You know, he had to drop down the field, but man, you get this guy on a drag route. He's tough to bring down. So, yeah. um, so I think the pressure is going to be there to stick with the receivers more so than, than covering the receivers in a traditional five-step drop or anything like that. Have you made your official game pick yet? Or yet? I haven't. I haven't. Still looking at some stuff. Um, incredibly tough atmosphere to play in. Penn State has had a little bit of success there at times, but uh, no, nobody's overwhelmingly successful in the horseshoe. So, um, you know, I, I, you know, if Penn State can get a couple quick scores and, and they've gone 90 to nothing in the first quarter this year, that's probably a streak that's probably that's in jeopardy this week. But at the same time, if you can win the first quarter, make Ohio State throw the ball a little bit more, get them out of, out of rhythm, you, I think they definitely have a shot. What's your hunch? Well, we, we, look, I know you still got to run your numbers, run your models. Give us a hunch on where you're at, at least at this point in the week, uh, on who wins this game. Well, I mean, I, the the opening line came out at seven, and you know, I, I like it to be a little bit closer game than that. Um, you know, just the the more I look at it, JT Barrett depends which which one he shows up. Uh, yeah. You know, because he's been all over the place at times. He's been very very good. You know, Heisman conversation worthy at times. So that's gonna be a that's gonna be a big one. You know, I was leaning Ohio State at one point, and just the more I look at it, Penn State has a lot of options on offense. And, you know, if they can score, uh, string a couple of quick scores together, I think they could, you know, they could pull it off. Isn't that kind of what the, like you mentioned the 90 to nothing streak, as I've been trying to break this game and meditate on it myself, I just, I, I feel like that is such a huge part of the whole team where the if you get up on that early lead then you force the other offense's hand and if you force the other offense to maybe press a little bit that helps with uh, your Penn State's defense being able to be very attacking and aggressive like it it just th- feels like this fast start is a is a huge part of Penn State's overall team success uh, this particular year. Absolutely. I mean, you look at the Indiana game, Penn State jumped on that 28 points. Of course, Saquon Barkley returned the opening kickoff for a touchdown. They didn't play particularly well. I mean, you know, they, they got a, a couple quick scores. And, and from that point, it was it was pretty much over. You look at the pit game, not an overwhelming scoreline on the final score, but that game was over in the first quarter. I mean, Pitt, Pitt very much coached not to get blown out and, and the scoreline shows it. And 
But, man, Penn State just, once they get up, they can be overly aggressive with their defense. They can do what they do on offense because whether they're up or down, the offensive uh, game plan really doesn't change a whole lot. So um, I, I think you're, you're exactly right. If they can get a fast start together, you make Ohio State and Barrett try to press for some things, and, and some good things can happen with your defense when that happens. Fitz, where's your, where's your national title meter right now? Like, where's your beat Alabama meter? Is because, oh, hey, if, if they win this game, and, and we all agree that's a that, that despite being underdogs, like they they have a really good shot at winning that game. That's not a, that's not a stretch at all. They're I mean, they're number they're, they're they are where they are. They're number two in the country by a lot of people. Like you got to judge yourself against the tide. I mean, this is this is the team that we're talking about. It's a national and, and, title and, contender. And I guess, and even beyond that too, like did you coming into this season, did you did you sniff a potential number two team in the country and 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 at this point now, do you think that they are more equipped to to make that kind of a leap? Like, what, just just sort of give me the overall sense on from a national perspective. How good do you think this team can be? I, I think they can challenge the national title game. Uh, of course, the student section was chanting, "We want Bama the, uh, over the weekend," and I don't think that's worked out well for anyone yet. But um, no, I mean, I, I still see some holes in this team. But at the same time, most of that comes with hey, you're going to Columbus this week. This is a t- such a tough place to play. Um, this game, obviously, I think has, has national title or at least college football playoff implications. Do I think they can hang with Bama? I think they can hang, yeah. I mean, we, we've seen, you know, in, in championship games where, you know, Bama hasn't come out and played to, to their full potential, and Penn State has, has upped, their, you know, upped their game last year at the Rose Bowl. So this is a team that's played well in big games, and, that, and that's, that's one thing that, you know, you look at past Penn State teams and they've won every game they should have and the big games, you, you, you fall flat or you split or something like that. This team has played well in the Rose Bowl. They played well in the Big Ten title game. They played well against Ohio State last year. So they've played well in big games on this streak. And I think that that could be huge if they ever would happen to find themselves against Alabama. The other thing is, you know, I think the loser of this game, if it's a close game, if it's a Coming out of this, if if Penn State loses by three at the horseshoe, that you know that, that that sucks. But at the same time, if they take care of business, that's an 11-1 team out of the Big Ten East that's not going to the Big Ten title game. That might be a pretty good spot to be in if you're looking at uh, if, if you're looking at the college football playoffs. So it's uh, there's so many things in this dynamic. I still like Penn State as a national contender, but uh, you know as you see every week, uh, you know crazy things happening in college football right now. So. Yes, I do see them as a national contender. I still see Bam as the giant, as everyone should. So, uh, But it should be fun to watch play out in the next few weeks because that Michigan State game next weekend, that's going to be huge as, as well for Penn State. Mm. He is Sean Fitz. You can follow him on Twitter at Sean Fitz 24-7. He's the editor of Lions247.com. Uh, the official... Well, after all the models are run, the official game prediction will be up over there. Make sure you go and check it out. Sean, you're the man. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on, guys.